Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to our live stream service this morning. It's wonderful to be able to greet you from sunny Bundaberg, although it's a little bit uh, cool this morning. But uh, may you be blessed wherever you're sitting, no doubt warm at home with a cup of coffee and uh, maybe a blanket wrapped around yourself. Uh, some of us are here working hard. But uh, it is nice to be able to uh, worship together with you, knowing that the Spirit connects us. Wherever you are in the world, whatever time you're watching this, or even if you're just listening on the podcast, <clears throat> may you know that you are part of this fellowship and we welcome you and we join together as we hear from God, looking to Him to connect, uh, to connect with our souls as we do our last in the series of soul keeping. A special word of welcome if you are with us for the first time. And uh, please know that the, the idea behind the live stream service is that you can interact with us. So drop us a comment. If uh, you would like to say something in the sermon, please feel free to do that. One of the blessings of, uh, of the live stream is being able to do this and interact with one another. And we will get to those comments, if not immediately, then uh, at least through the week. So let us know where you're watching from. Even if you're uh, looking at a recording, make a comment, drop us a line, uh, ask a question if you want, state an opinion, and we'd like to interact with you on that as well. Friends, just to let you know also that this morning is communion, and uh, we'll be taking communion a little later on in the service. So if you haven't yet prepared something, please take a moment to do that. Uh, you just need some bread or some wafers, uh, uh, some gluten-free if that is needed for you, and some water or some juice, whatever you've got handy to share in the sacrament of Holy Communion. A reminder also that our Connecting Conversations is taking a break for the school holidays, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Lastly, just to say our sermon series uh, on, um, on soul-keeping comes to close today. We finish off, this is the last in the six-part series. And once again, just to give acknowledgement to John Ortberg, who wrote a book called Soul Keeping, which is largely a tribute to uh, a man by the name of Dallas Willard, who John uh, is mentor, was mentored by prior to Dallas's passing. And, um, and John takes a lot of Dallas's writings and he makes it easily understandable. So I've used both John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, also Eugene Peterson and others in the preparation of this series and am grateful to them for their work in making this available to us. As we begin our service, I, uh, I greet you with these words, the peace of the Lord be with you. And I know, I know that as uh, I say those words, you're replying back in kind. And if you're on your own, I greet you, if you are with family and friends, take a moment to say it to one another. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning with a sense of joy and admiration, with a sense of hope and a sense of, of wonder, a sense of knowing that you are our God and we are your people. The sense, Lord, of feeling that this is a moment where our souls get to connect with you, where we find that integration of body, mind, heart, and spirit 
connected to your will, to what you desire for us. And that is, Lord, what we desire. We want nothing more than to be faithful to you, to grow in our faithfulness and to, and to be people who you use to bring glory to your name in this earth. Lord, we thank you that you count us worthy of such a high calling. We thank you that you look upon our lives, that you rejoice in, uh, in what we rejoice in. You mourn when we mourn. You face every emotion that we face. You feel our pain. You know our gladness. And we pray, Lord God, that, that that sense of closeness may grow even more that we would find ourselves in uh, such a place where we desire nothing more than for our souls to be continually connected to you. We struggle, Lord, at times. There are moments, Lord, when, when the voices from within the world, the voices from within our own uh, selfish desires pull us away from you, where we find that our will is not aligned with yours. We pray, Lord, in those moments we may hear your voice ever more loudly. We may feel the presence of your Spirit drawing us closer to you. And that we may know, Lord God, that there is no temptation and no power on this earth that is stronger than what you have done on the cross. Today we celebrate that in the sacrament of Holy Communion. We give thanks, Lord, for your willingness to give your life Thanks, Lord, for the fact that your love took you so far that it came to a place of saying, this will be my life given for them. Today we receive of that sacrifice. We identify with your death so that we may identify with resurrection and life. May the sacrament be a beautiful moment for us, we pray as we take your sacrifice and it becomes part of us, may, Lord, we feel that soul connection. So to you be all the glory, we pray, as we worship you this morning. May we hear your voice. May you be honored, as together we pray the prayer that you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is a very short reading. As we end off the series, we're looking at another thing that the soul needs and the soul needs blessing. And where better to go than to the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 to 27, when the Lord speaks to Moses and teaches him how to bless. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Throughout the week, people have faithfully brought in offerings, as well as those who have made the offering through online giving and placed uh, their offerings directly into the church's account. Thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness. If you would like to uh, give to God's work, to contribute to the work of the church and to worship Him uh, with what you have, then the details are on the website for you to be able to make those uh, gifts and offerings, or you may simply bring them into the church office through the week. Mark them city offering and leave your name off um, as anonymous. Let us dedicate those gifts to God. Lord God, we love you with heart and soul and body and mind and spirit. But it is not just with our words that we honor you or with our presence in church. But we honor you with all that we have. And the gifts that we give, Lord, are a way in which we can bless you. We could never give a gift to royalty, to a president or to a king. They would never be accepted. But you, Lord, allow us this privilege. And so we bring to you these gifts, those put into the church account, those given in at the office, and we honor you with them. May they be used to build your kingdom through the work of this church and bring more and more people into a knowledge of how much you love them. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. There's a true story of a surgeon in the United States. He tells the story himself of having to cut into the face of a beautiful young woman in order to remove a large tumor that had grown there. There were some serious risks to the operation. And although the surgeon did his absolute best, in the course of the surgery, he severed just the tiny twig of a facial nerve that controlled some of the muscles to her mouth. Her once lovely face would be noticeably, obviously, and horribly twisted and disfigured for the rest of her life. Before the surgery, she had one of those faces that was so strikingly beautiful that people would sometimes just stop to, to, look, uh, to look at her face. It was that lovely. No one would do that again. If they stopped to look at her face from this day on, it would be for another reason. Her young husband was beside her hospital bed when the surgeon was breaking the news to her. The young husband was holding her hand when the woman, with the kind of quiver in her voice, asked for a mirror. And as she looked in the mirror, she said to the surgeon, Will my face always look like this? Yes, he replied. It will, because the nerve was cut and there's no way to repair it. She was silent. But her husband smiled sweetly and said, I like it. It's kind of cute. And then to add an exclamation point, he bent down to kiss her crooked mouth. And the surgeon writes, I'm standing so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers to show her that their kiss still works. 
The surgeon, deeply moved by this moment, concludes the story by saying, I know that it is the marred and the scarred and the faulty that are subject to grace. But if I were to search for the exact location of the soul, in this moment, I have caught a glimpse of it. When do we see the soul? When is its location revealed? When is it most evident? The soul is seen. The soul is most evident when it reaches out in love. And the word that Scripture uses for that is blessing. The soul is seen when it reaches out in love, and that reaching out action is called blessing. And if you and I are to be people that care for our souls, then we cannot neglect this incredibly important act of the soul, this incredibly important need of the soul. The soul needs blessing. Today, as we share in communion, as I said, we conclude the series on soul-keeping, taking time to care for the most important part of you. I don't need to do a recap because it's all on our YouTube channel and our podcasts, our websites and Facebook. So if you've missed any of the series, head on to one of those avenues and, and check it out. But we've, over the six-part series, looked at the nature of the soul, what it is, how it works in its relationship with God, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've looked at what the soul needs and, and what we can do. We've looked at how to keep a healthy soul. We, we have to keep the stream clear. How we have to enable ourselves to care proactively for the most important part of, of who we are. As I said last week in the analogy of the town and the hills, the stream is our soul, and we are, we are the keeper. It is the most important job. Today, closing off the series, we look at how the soul needs to reach out in love. How the soul needs, as Scripture puts it, blessing. And right at the start, I want to say that when I say the soul needs blessing, I'm not saying that your soul needs to be blessed. I'm not suggesting that to have healthy souls, we should be sitting back and saying, yes, I need to be blessed. Come on now, bless me somebody. Or even better, come on God, you bless me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. When I say that the soul needs blessing, I'm saying we need to be blessing others. It's an action that we do as we care for our souls. Sadly, the word blessing has become such a cliche in Christian circles that we actually don't have any idea what it means anymore. We have little idea how to do it. We have little idea as to what it is we're asking God to do for people if we, we ask Him to bless them. In fact, the word is so cliched, we've taken, it to, use, we've taken to using it even when somebody sneezes. Somebody goes, Hachoo! And what do we say? Bless you. Seriously? Imagine how surprised we'd be if God actually did bless them in that moment. We'd have a lot of people trying to sneeze all over the place. And what would it look like if God did bless them? Sometimes we use the words blessing and bless you to mean the exact opposite of, of what blessing is. But we say it because it, it, it's a plausible way of getting away with saying something horrible, actually, but saying it in a nice way. 
Somebody said to me the other day, I'll use a different name, but, oh, can you believe what Bob just did? God bless him. Back in the days of when we were actually allowed to attend church and when we would be shaking hands at the door, doesn't that, doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? seems so strange to think we actually, everybody went and shook hands at the door without using any hand sanitizer at all. Lifetime ago. But while we were shaking hands at the door, you would have heard a phrase from me. You would have heard this phrase from most ministers as we say to you, have a nice day, God bless. Bless you. It becomes just part of Christian language. I know that when we often pray, we can be scared of actually asking God to do specific things like healing somebody or rescuing a situation or restoring a relationship because deep down we're afraid that it might not happen. And so at the end of the prayer we say, and, and God, would you please bless them? Because even if the first part of the prayer doesn't work, you can never actually say that the blessing won't. And, and I'm sure that they'll be blessed in some way. And it makes us feel like we've then done something. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bless people. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for blessing or say it to one another. But what I am saying is that we should do it properly. We should be serious about it. Because doing that, blessing somebody, really blessing their soul, is crucial not only for them, but it's essential for the health of our own souls. We need to do it, and instead of just saying it, instead of it just being a, a kind of religious cliche or a bit of jargon, it should be something that you and I are intentionally going out to do to say, how can I bless another soul this day? How can I bless someone? Dallas Willard said, churches should run courses in how to bless people. In fact, actually, that's not quite what he said. He said this. It's a bit of a longer quote. He said, churches should run courses in how to... He said, churches should run courses in how to bless and not curse others. Because there are two great words in the Bible that describe the posture of our souls toward other people. One is to bless, the other is to curse. We are creatures with wills, and in every encounter with other people, we will what is good for them, or we fail to do so. Then we will what is bad. We cannot help ourselves. He goes on to say, blessing is not just a word. It is the projection of good into the life of another. We must think it, feel it, and will it. We must communicate it with our bodies and it is then done by the soul. The soul needs blessing, for it resonates with the very act of Jesus Christ. It resonates with the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is the act of blessing, of truly blessing another people, another person, in which those people will then find grace, in which those people will feel a touch of the Holy Spirit. Just like that once beautiful woman being kissed on the lips and being told that in the only eyes that truly matter, she is every bit as beautiful as she always was. 
Sadly, cursing seems to be much easier than blessing. And in Scripture, blessing and cursing are really just referred to as two different ways that we treat people. It's not some great mystery that is set apart of, of uh, some great theological uh, truth. It's simply that our actions and attitudes and interactions either bless or they curse. And our souls are particularly sensitive to either one. As I say, it's easier to curse. And perhaps I need to say that our modern language may give an unhelpful connotation to the word curse. Um, when we think of curse, it's, it's some sort of spell or some, some serious kind of swearing or, 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 or demonic kind of thing. That, that's really not what curse means in this situation. It's not necessarily wishing the absolute worst on somebody. But it might be more helpful to think of curse simply as an absence of grace, a choice not to bless. So as the sermon continues, think of curse not as a swear word or a demonic spell, but, but just the choice not to bless, to withhold grace, to withhold the projection of all of God's goodness into the lives of others. And every day, we choose how we treat people. <clears throat> Sadly, like I say, it's much easier to curse than to bless. And I remember driving when, uh, when our kids were really small, driving with them in the car and I was taking them home from school. Traffic was the usual after-school traffic. I was in a rush as I sometimes am and I honestly don't even remember what traffic incident caused this. I don't even remember saying the line that would have caused the next sentence to flow from a four-year-old's mouth. But all of a sudden I heard this sweet little voice from the back of the car asking me an innocently genuine question. And Tammy was saying, Daddy, <clears throat> how come when you're driving, everyone else is either a moron or an idiot or an old granny? You know, it was such a cute question. I chuckled to myself as I, I turned my eyes into the rearview mirror to see suddenly a deadly serious pair of four-year-old eyes wanting an honest answer. And the smile suddenly went from my face. I hadn't realized that I said it so much. Much less than far from blessing, uh, the, far from the blessing that my soul needed to be healthy, I was filling every single trip in the car with so much cursing that my children had picked up that every other driver didn't deserve blessing didn't deserve grace, didn't deserve the projection of God's goodness in their lives. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the other daughter chimed in with, and why are even the men called old grannies? Why aren't they old grandpas? Fair point. So now not only was my driving theologically bad for my soul, but it was sexist as well. Time to either change the way I treat people or at least learn to do it in another language that the kids couldn't understand. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding about the language. But not about realizing how sensitive souls are. And believe me, cursing doesn't have to be as obvious as that. Nor does it just have to be with strangers. It can be done 
by raising an eyebrow. It can be done with a shrug of the shoulders. It can be done with a, a lengthy pause or adding a sigh even to the words, of course I love you. In fact, the better you know someone, the more subtly you can curse them. Our souls were made to bless and to be blessed. We cannot survive without it. But how do we do it? How do we do the blessing that our souls need? Well, in one of the most often quoted scriptures, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his son, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Straight away as you read the blessing slowly. <clears throat> and I have to say resist the urge to almost say it by heart or or see the version that's printed on the mug you got for Christmas. Right at the start, it's clear that blessing takes time. One of the difficulties in blessing someone these days is that you almost have to physically hang on to them to get them to stay still long enough to receive a blessing. <clears throat> Usually when a blessing is given, the person receiving the blessing starts to think that they are unworthy. Perhaps even <clears throat> tries to plan the, the best response, tries to plan a, a blessing back. We have become averse to blessing. For the soul to bless, it's not some form of trade. It isn't a kind of bartering system. This is a grace that is given. When we first moved to Australia, we enrolled our children in uh, the local Anglican school called St. Luke's. It runs right from grade naught through to grade 12. And our children were at such ages that <clears throat> uh, Tammy went to junior school and uh, went to complete uh, one year there while the twins went to middle school straight away. And at the completion of the year, the junior school held a sort of graduation ceremony to which all the parents were invited. And part of that ceremony was calling each child and their family forward. And for each family individually, the Anglican minister, um, who I knew, he was a friend of mine, <clears throat> um, would bless that child and that family. And he prayed a blessing on every single family. And I had caught up with my friend just a few minutes before the ceremony started. And he had told me that he had another very important meeting to get to, and he hoped that this whole thing wouldn't take too long. In fact, he was only doing this job because the regular school chaplain was unwell, and so he was filling in for him at the last moment. When the time for the blessings came, I knew that he would be cutting it fine. And I expected nothing more from him than a very quick kind of go well, go with God and, uh, and be blessed and, and where's the next family? 
But as he began, it was as if each family was the most important thing to him in that moment. It was as if they were the only family in the world at that moment. For all intents and purposes, there was no other meeting that he had to get to. He would be late. Of that, there was no doubt. But what he wouldn't do, what he wasn't going to do, was rush that blessing with an integrity and a dignity and a sincerity. He placed his hands on the shoulder of each child and of each parent, looked at them in the eye and said as if there was no one else around, prayed a blessing on them. When it was our turn, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated that blessing and how meaningful it was. And how much it connected with my soul, knowing that he took each one so seriously. I don't know if he ever actually got to his next meeting, but I do know that I was blessed. And I could see in his face that he was blessed too. To bless was more important to his soul than any meeting could ever be. Blessing cannot be rushed. Sincerity cannot be faked. When we bless someone, we need to turn to face them, to look into their eyes. This is not just some random person that we are blessing. We need to let our minds focus on the individual who is before us and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. And give you his peace. In other words, <clears throat> it is my soul's deepest desire and my, my most heartfelt request of God that he constantly bring good into your life and that his presence rest upon you every moment. To do that, friends, to pray that, to sincerely mean that, takes time even if it means keeping a hundred people in a church meeting waiting for a few moments while your soul blesses another. To bless <clears throat> takes time. But to bless is also to be willing to sacrifice. To say and sincerely mean, the Lord bless and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. To do that is to recognize that the beauty of God keeping or holding that person, the graciousness of God, the, the shining face of God upon them, to will God's greatest goodness in their life may well be through us. We can hardly pronounce a blessing in which we sincerely hope for all of God's attention and favor and to be on a person, yet be unwilling to be part of what God is wanting to do in their lives. Blessing is often done in response to a need or a crisis or a, a difficult situation. And how often we can come away from those places where we, where we say, well, God bless and and what we really mean is, I think of you, I'll, I'll even pray for you, but, but I'm too busy to do much else. So, God bless. And I hope that he does. Through the help of someone else. And this is quite tough because blessing has become so cliched for us. It almost just becomes this figure of speech. 
but the soul needs to bless. And if we truly wish God's presence and plan and purpose in someone's life, then we may well be the instrument that God uses in that moment for that to happen. Does that mean we are responsible to sort out every problem for every person who we wish God's presence and peace to be upon? No, of course not. But it does mean that we become more sensitized to the fact that we are God's instruments, that we are always willing and always ready to be used by Him to bring His love to others, to bring His glory into this world. To bless is to be willing to sacrifice. And lastly, to bless is to recognize the worth of the soul that stands before you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Other versions of scripture say, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. I read one version that said, may the Lord's face radiate his joy upon you. How beautiful is that? May the Lord's face radiate his joy upon you. There is an intrinsic worth to every soul. John Ortberg loosely translates another verse of Scripture in Exodus chapter 23, verse 9. He says, <clears throat> You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the soul of the stranger, for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. To bless is to recognize that everybody has a soul, even those who we don't like, and to love them in a way that our will and our mind and our choice and our actions and our thoughts are aligned for the good of their entire being before God. It's as if we see ourselves in them. When we see ourselves as, a, as attached to them, you know the soul of the stranger. You know what it is to be a stranger, for you once were strangers. When we think of that person as part of us, as, as part of me, then we become moved to bless. Jesus may have been speaking quite literally when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. What if our souls went out in humble love to all the people God brings into our world, where each soul is recognized for its worth not to us, but to God. Each soul needs love. And our souls need to bless. When Debbie and I were, <clears throat> were newly married, just, for, just been married a year or two, we had no children yet and we were just starting out in ministry. And the training process in the Methodist Church was that they would take you and in your very first year that you started, you were sent into a cross-cultural placement uh, first up. Different language, different color, different community, completely foreign to you. Um, and the idea was that they would, they would change your perception of the church. They would change your understanding of, of the cultures in the country. And, and having lived in apartheid South Africa, you would have some perceptions completely uh, shattered. We were moved to an indigenous township in a very rural part of South Africa. The, it was very early on, apartheid had only just recently been done away with. Well, it had been done away with in the terms of the law anyway. There was still plenty of unofficial apartheid around, if you could put it like that. And there Debbie and I were. 
the only two white people living in what was known in South Africa as a black township. And we were the first two white people to have ever, ever lived in that township. So there was a, a pretty much a, a novelty value to us. But looking back, I can see the value in the experience. We learned a great deal, but it was tough going. We didn't know the culture. We didn't know the language. Fitting in was difficult. And even though we were welcomed with open arms and, and real traditional African hospitality, it was still tough. On the other side, uh, the, the township was kind of just outside a town, and in, in the years of apartheid, there was something called the Group Areas Act, which meant that black people and white people had to live uh, very separately. And so there was a white town attached to uh, the black township. And um, when we went into town, we discovered that the people there hated us. The place where we were uh, ministering in was a stronghold of a, a far-right political party. Their leader lived in the area, and they were not very pleased that white people were willingly living with black people. And they made that known to us. It was a small town, and there were shops that refused to serve us. There were only two restaurants in the town, and we were kicked out of one of them and told not to come back. And whenever we needed a, a service, we needed a plumber or a repairman or, or someone to come and, and, and help us, they flatly refused to come out. Not everyone in the town was like that, but uh, there was enough to make us feel pretty uncomfortable. And so we found ourselves in this tough situation where we, we didn't quite fit in where we were, despite the warmth and the friendliness of the people. And while in the place where we did speak the language and we did know the culture, there were certain people that went out of their way to make us feel very, very unwelcome. We hadn't been there very long when we got a phone call from a local farmer who said to us, you don't know me, but I would love for you and your wife to come visit us for some lunch. We accepted the invitation and we went to go and see them. They spoke Afrikaans and we spoke English, but we got by well enough to understand each other and we had this delicious lunch. They opened their home to us that day and said to us that they understood what we were doing would be difficult. And he said, there will be times when you will want to just take a break for a few moments. He said, in those moments, our home is here for you. If you want to just have a rest, come and put your head down on a bed. If you want to have a meal, if you want to have a, a head-clearing walk around the farm or just have a chat, we are here and the place is yours. They farmed pumpkins mostly, and they always sent us home with, with literally a bootful and a back seat full of pumpkins. It was for ourselves, and it was also to share with the congregation uh, back at church. I ate everything from pumpkin fritters to pumpkin muffins to pumpkin spread on toast. I can't tell you how many different ways we invented to, to eat pumpkins. But that was just their kind of act of, of uh, one of their acts of generosity. 
whenever we went to their farm, it was a place of rejuvenation where we wouldn't be ministering or studying or working or battling with the townsfolk. It was a place for our soul to be refreshed. And towards the end of the year, I once said to, I once said to the farmer who I have since lost contact with, but I'm sure he has passed on to glory long ago. I said to him in, in my Afrikaans, which is not great, I said, Uncle Dirk, thank you so much for your kindness to us. And he looked at me and he switched to kind of broken English. And it, it may not have come out the way he intended, but I believe that it came out the way God intended. He said, Stuart, blessing you blesses me. Just four words. Blessing you blesses me. The soul needs blessing. We were made to bless. And as we bless in the way God intended us to bless, our souls are connected to our souls are connected with Him in will and in purpose and in action and in spirit. And the stream flows beautifully with crisp clear, clean water. As we end this series, may you always remember that your soul is the stream and you are the keeper. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, throughout this series, we have journeyed with what it means to take care of our souls. We have looked at so many different aspects of the soul and so many different things that the soul needs. And today as we look at the fact that the soul needs blessing, we acknowledge that there are many times when we have chosen not to bless. When our actions have been more along the lines of cursing, withholding grace. Sometimes we have used the word blessing even as an excuse. But we thank you, Lord, that time and time again you give us new opportunities to bless. And you remind us today that this is what our soul needs to do. This is what our soul was made to do. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would give us the time and the willingness to sacrifice. That you would give us the ability to see people as you see them to see the intrinsic values of the souls before us, that we may truly be able to bless and in so doing know the truth of what that old farmer said, that blessing you blesses me. And so, Lord, we pray that those words spoken to to Aaron, to teach to the Israelites, the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May those words become for us not a cliche, not a memorized verse of scripture, but something, Lord, that we live and mean to every person you bring across our path. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This morning as we share Holy Communion, we have one of our elders, uh, Bronwyn Williams, who will be sharing with us and will be doing the part, uh, the responsive part of the liturgy. So we'll put the liturgy on the screen and if you would like to follow with us, I encourage you to say it out loud uh, in your homes and as you take communion that uh, you respond in the way you normally would if you were in church. If you've never taken communion before, just follow uh, Bronwyn and my lead and uh, you'll see that it's really easy, really beautiful and connects us with God in a special way. And so I say to you, <clears throat> friends, look as you gather around this table. It is decked out with simple things, bread and wine, gifts of the earth that remind us that like them, each one of us holds within us the fingerprints of God who made us. At this table, we are invited to draw up a chair and dine with the saints and to feed our souls. Here we sit with the priests and the prophets, prisoners and poets, whose testaments live in the pages of God's book, along with all the friends and faithful guides who live within our hearts. So with this in mind, we raise our voices together with the countless others saying, Holy, holy, holy God of all creation and life, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Hosanna in the highest. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and wine and recreated them with a new purpose. We take this bread, and as we break it, we remember Jesus' words, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. We take this cup, and as we raise it, we remember Jesus' words, Take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. We break bread together, and we become the living body of Christ. We share the cup together, and we become agents of God's grace. We say together, Lord, we come to your table, trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We are not worthy to gather the crumbs under your table, but your grace makes us worthy, and on that we depend. So feed us with the body and blood of Christ, we pray, resurrecting us to live the life you call us to. Amen. Bronwyn, friends, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of what Christ has done. Feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. The blood of Christ which is shed for you. Take and drink it in remembrance of his sacrifice, of his love. May it sustain you to everlasting life. We spend a few moments in prayer. We pray the prayer of thanksgiving together. 
We thank you, Lord, that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet prepared for all people. Amen. Thank you, Bronwyn. <clears throat> Friends, as we've shared in communion with this morning, I know that there was a link to some worship songs put on the Facebook feed this morning. Feel free to go back and have a look on that. Click on the link. It'll take you to a YouTube video and allow that worship also to be part of what feeds your soul. And as we go this morning, I go by pronouncing the blessing which is our reading today. And I say it for each of you. As we go, I say the blessing for each of you. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.